almost everywhere Whose hearts are all aflame With the fire that fell at Pentecost Which cleansed and made them clean It is burning now within my heart Oh, glory to His name I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them I'm one of them I'm one of them Oh, I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them I'm one of them so glad that I can say I'm one of them. Though these people may not learn it, be nor boast of worldly fame. They have all received their penny cost, baptized in Jesus' name. And I tell now both far and wide, His power is yet the same. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. continue to play that softly. Uh, we just have a few prayer requests here. Uh, we just want to uh, remember the Hughes who are not with us this evening, so we could just remember them. And uh, also, we just want to remember uh, Sister Emma Harwell, 
who's not able to be with us this evening. So uh, we, if we could just remember her. And uh, also here, uh, just remember Sister Smith as well. Just continue to remember her and uh, Brother Smith as well. Just remember them so that uh, the Lord will touch them. And also uh, I have here prayer requests for Brother Burley. Uh, we all know Brother Burley. He is uh, having to have an operation uh, coming here soon um, for his teeth, I believe it is, and uh, just some health problems going on there. So we just want to uh, remember him. And uh, if you could just remember me this evening, uh, just dealing with some allergies, uh, if, if you can't tell. So just uh, remember me in prayer as well. And I know we all have unspoken prayer requests uh, just by the lifting of your hand. If I could have uh, Brother John come up uh, this evening and pray over these prayer requests. Bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We know that so many of our brothers and sisters overseas are not able to even be at their house today, Lord. So we just pray you keep your hand upon them, Lord. We pray for our service. We pray for all these requests that have been brought before you, some spoken and some not. Lord, you know, you know all. So, Lord, we just ask you to keep your hand upon them, Lord. Just pray for our service, pray for our pastor and his message, Lord, he will bring today. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. We'll just sing a song or two here. I don't have any specials, so uh, before Brother Barry comes this evening, let's sing the song, He Paid a Debt. He paid a debt I did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song of amazing grace all day long. Christ Jesus my soul and set me free. I'm glad that Jesus did all my sins erase. And now I sing a brand new song, amazing grace, all day long Christ Jesus made.
someday he's coming back for me to live with him eternally won't it be glory to see him on that day I then will sing a brand new song amazing grace all day long Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay so he paid a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. I now can sing a brand new song, amazing grace. All day long, Christ Jesus paid a debt that I would just stand with me and let's sing the song Holy Ground For we are standing on holy ground And I know that take up the tithes and offering this evening. Amen. But Andy, if you would just pray the tithes and offering. Just sing it now again as Brother Barry comes this evening. We are standing. Pray. 
name. God is good. Welcome to the house of the Lord tonight. How many are glad to be in church? How many are glad you're saved? Amen. That's a great, great privilege. Let's sing one more time, and then we're going to bring our prayer requests before the Lord tonight. We have a special request that we've been asked to remember, and that is for a brother uh, whose name is Everett C., and he is uh, he's in Ohio, uh, some of you may know the C family uh, from uh, years of being there in, in uh, Lima. And uh, Everett has a number of uh, serious complications, but today he developed a brain bleed and uh, has a, had an abdominal aorta issue. And uh, so he's uh, just clinging on to life, and they call the family in. Now, my nephew, Matthew Coffey, is married to Brother C's daughter. So that's the connection that we have. And, uh, they called me today and asked if we would remember him in prayer. And I said, we sure will. We'll bring it before the church. Our church is a praying people. And uh, I said, we surely will do that tonight. Let's sing it one more time. Hold your requests there as well, and we'll just bring them all together. We are standing on holy Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us tonight, Lord, I pray. Open the word and make it live as only you can. We can provide notes. We can provide our thoughts. Lord, we can pull together different uh, perspectives, Lord, on the word of God, but we didn't write it. And the author always knows best. So, Lord, we're depending on you tonight. Come, I pray. Take every spirit under your control, Lord. Forgive us all of anything that would hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. May we keep our feelings in check so that the Holy Spirit can have free course among us. We put everything under the blood. We ask, Lord, that you would minister to these special requests, Lord, that are mentioned before us tonight. And Brother Mitchell mentioned several. Lord, we think of Brother Everett laying in the hospital and with his family around him. Lord, unless you move, Lord, he could easily slip from this life into the next And so we pray in Jesus' name that you would just be attentive, Lord, by his side tonight. And Lord, we just commit him into your hands because that's the very best thing we could possibly do. We ask now, Lord, that you take complete control, bring comfort to his wife, Shelley. And Lord, we ask, oh God, that you would just be merciful to him. 
and his family. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity we have to gather tonight. And now we commit it to you and ask that you would just come now and take complete control. In the name of Jesus and for your glory, we pray. Amen. And amen. And all the bride said? Amen. Psalm 43. I'd like to read there tonight. Thank you, musicians. Appreciate you uh, being here tonight. Psalm 43. And we're looking at uh, walking the subject of, of light. And we're walking in the light uh, tonight as well. Aren't you glad you're walking in the light? Amen. Psalm 43, verse 3. I'd like to say I appreciated the choir singing Sunday. Lincolnton, that was good, and uh, I got to see the choir because that was, uh, uh, we were on such a time difference uh, there, so I got to see the choir sing, and uh, it was great, really enjoyed it. Psalm 43, David says, Oh, send out thy light and thy truth, let them lead me, let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. May God add his blessing, you may be seated. All right, let me give you a couple of quick announcements here, and then we'll jump right in. Everybody ready to study? We're going to look in the Bible uh, tonight and do a a little study on a word that's not found in the Bible, but the principle is found everywhere. I'll let you ponder on that before we get there. Uh, We want to continue to remember Sister April Grant. Her time is almost up in Ukraine. And uh, she has, like I thought, she has just uh, been won by the Ukrainian people, and uh, they have won her heart. And uh, she has just really been blessed to be over there. So uh, we want to continue to remember her. And I'll tell you what's happening that you, you might not hear on the news, just so you have an idea. Most of the believers and the people who sought peace and refuge are on the western side of Ukraine. We're all experts on Ukraine, right? So... Uh, You'll you'll understand. All the all the people who didn't want to be involved in the war are on the western side. The difficult battles are raging on the eastern side because that's what Russia is trying to take over. But they know the Russians know that all the supplies, the military supplies and rearmament comes from the west, where all of these big planes come in and they they uh, unload supplies from NATO countries, from Germany, from America. They all land in Poland and in Ukraine, and they put them on a train, and they run them across the country over to the forces that are fighting in the eastern side of Ukraine. And these are massive amounts of supplies and resupply, bullets, tanks, everything in between. It all comes from the West. So the Russians have taken to bombing the West to destroy train tracks. If they can destroy train tracks, they cut off the resupply. And so that's what's happening. Unfortunately, all the believers we know are basically over in the West. And so they have been uh, in contact with me and, and Brother uh, Eugene and different ones. And uh, I will tell you that, you know, despite the fact that the headlines might become, be becoming smaller and smaller in the news, the fight is still on. And their plight is still very real. So don't stop praying for them. We are still supporting them and doing all we can to help them and assist them. But that's what's happening over there. So uh, if you don't mind remembering that need in prayer, that would be great. Brother Matt Cross is not here tonight. He's away on work. Sister Sherry Holly is not here. She wrote to me and said that she just so misses church. Uh, she's recovering, but that's a slow process, and uh, she has to be remembered in prayer. Uh, 
And uh, I just wanted to say that on Sunday, uh, Lord willing, we'll have a baptism. And uh, we'll do it at the end of uh, Sunday service, which is Mother's Day. Now, the Lord allowed me two men in my life who were a profound influence on me in my early days. And those two men were Brother Lonnie Jenkins and Brother Harold Hillebrand. And as you may have heard, Brother Hillebrand passed away uh, last week. And so uh, they had a family burial today, but they're having a memorial on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. And um, I just laid a little fleece out before the Lord and found a way to do it and be back here on Sunday morning. It involves what's called a red eye. And uh, that means that uh, I'll be here in body for sure. But uh, right after service, so I'll be flying tomorrow. Uh, and I'm still kind of, so, I'm kind of sort of on the Western time clock anyway. And uh, we, had, uh, we had wonderful meetings out there with Brother John and Sister Sharon Andes. And they send their regards. They send their love to you. And uh, we had a wonderful time with his church there. It was the six-month anniversary of his church. And uh, there was lots of believers who were gathered there. If you go to his website... Uh, I think the services are all on there, and uh, the uh, the uh, turnout was just it was really really nice really nice atmosphere. They have a community building; it's where they're meeting in a public community hall, and it was just, it was just I mean, you felt like you were just in a regular church. It was just really wonderful, really nice, in this little community called Ferndale. And uh, so, uh, Brother John sends his greetings and his love to you uh, to you all. Misses being on the road. But uh, he's uh, enjoying his new challenge there as, as pastor. And so, Lord willing, uh, we came back late Monday night, and I'll be leaving tomorrow morning and flying back up to Edmonton. And I'll be there uh, basically just an overnight. And then after the funeral on Saturday, I'll be, I'll be leaving and flying uh, back again so I can be here for the baptism and the service on Sunday morning. I just don't like to miss church. I don't like to miss church here, especially, and uh, be gone on a Sunday. So uh, that's just the way it is. So, uh, all right, so nobody said, oh, thank you, Brother Barry. God bless you. Wonderful. Great. Thanks for making the effort. If you say anything now, it won't count because it's too late. But Lord willing, if you don't mind and you remember it, um, keep us in prayer if you don't mind so that we can uh, make that journey successfully because there's a lot of things that are going to uh, come together in order to, for it to happen. But we believe it's going to happen, right? Brother David, you have your sermon ready if, you're, if I'm not here. Good to have the Stevenses back. All right, a couple of things to remember. This list is changing constantly. Uh, May 22nd, Brother Chris Take from uh, Nebraska is going to be with us, and uh, Matt Watkins all the way down through. Here's what you need to notice. June 12th is Communion Sunday. It'll be in the afternoon at 4 o'clock. June 22nd to the 25th is a campout. We used to call this the Father-Son Campout, but it's not anymore. Uh, you don't have to have a son. You don't have to have a father. You can be a grandfather. Uh, you just need to be able to wash dishes. And uh, that'll be June 22nd and 25th. Peter and Andy Irish are going to have the details, so we'll get the details from them. 
And uh, it, we've been there before, right? We've been there before. It's one of the places we've been, and uh, so that will be on June 22nd. Um, the men's meetings is the 23rd to the 25th, the Malawi dedication there. And I wanted to also show you this. This is what 600,000 sermons look like coming into Malawi. That's a tandem and a half, or a tandem and two-thirds uh, that are coming into there. That makes a million books that have come into uh, Malawi in single sermons. Okay, that's not counting the church age books and the seals books and the, all, all the other things that they've gotten. So this is one shipment of books here uh, that we've sent into them. And I will tell you that they're very, very excited about that. And then the next day, uh, this truck showed up, and that's 13,000 uh, seven seals books in English. And they have not had the seals book in, in Africa in many, many years. And uh, they are very excited. So these books will be divided up, and they will go to uh, Malawi. And if you look on the map, they'll go to Malawi, Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Namibia, Swaziland, and a couple of other countries in between. And uh, there are believers all scattered around that whole, if you, if you draw a line from the, uh, you know, from the bottom of the Congo and Malawi and Tanzania all the way down, all those nations down there uh, are interested in getting these books. So uh, they're going to be transported. Some of this stuff is going to be loaded right on the trucks and it'll go out and uh, it'll, uh, it'll be an ongoing process here. But uh, let me tell you, those believers are pretty excited. It's, it's, just, uh, it's just been wonderful to be a part of, of this and on this scale, to be touching so many people and getting so much material out there. So it's, it's just a wonderful thing. All right, the next screen is a correction, okay? Pastors are never above correction. And I made a comment a couple of weeks ago. You may not remember, but I made a comment about doves and cardinals. And uh, I had said that there was a dove outside of our bedroom window that started cooing about 4 o'clock in the morning and woke us up. And I said something about, I, I made a reference to a shotgun or something like that. Uh, let, me, let me correct that, okay? Brother Branham said the dove is a fowl and he's just a bird. And the dove is represented in the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, right? And I've studied the bird very much. And in our country, in most all the states in the Union, he's a sacred bird. And we're not allowed to hunt him. But in some states, they're allowed to hunt him, and I could never shoot one. And so I did not, I, I made the comment about shotgun, but I would never shoot a dove. Uh, I would never shoot anything that I wasn't going to eat. That's, that's our rule, uh, because that was Brother Branham's rule. But I would never shoot a dove for sure, because, and Brother Branham wouldn't. He, he, he stayed true to this all of his life. He missed uh, actually receiving several awards for hunting in his life because he would not shoot the dove. There, the dove was on the list of some of these awards. I don't understand about the hunting awards, but uh, he, would, he refused to shoot a dove, and so therefore uh, uh, he never uh, you know, attained those, those hunting rewards that are given out. So, uh, kids, you need to understand, If I know most of you are, were chomping at the bit for me to make that correction, but I would never shoot a dove, and I wouldn't shoot a cardinal. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Just something to keep in mind. There are some interesting things that are happening in the skies. And at the end of May, before sunrise, you can look out and see uh, really quite an impressive alignment of planets there. Now, the only reason I bring it up is because Brother Branham teaches us that whenever there is a happening in the heavens, it reflects something that's going on on the earth. Okay? 
So we may not understand all the significance of it. We may not. But uh, it's interesting to note because uh, it, it, it usually has some significance even if we don't understand it all. Now, in June, though, in the middle of June, the site is even more impressive because there are more planets that are lined up, Mercury, Venus, uh, Jupiter, Saturn. And, believe it or not, Uranus is also out there in this lineup. And uh, poor little old planet, they decided not to call it a planet. I don't know what they call it. Uh, it's always a planet in my day. But uh, you'll be able to see all of those. Now with the naked eye, you need to have some assistance to be able to see that. But if you get a clear day on the eastern horizon, you'll be able to see uh, these planets line up. So the, the, the statement on the bottom says that June offers early risers a chance to see this rare alignment of the five bright planets lining up in a row across the sky. If you've ever seen these planets up close, it's really fascinating, especially uh, Saturn and Jupiter. And uh, because you can see the, the, the size and the rings around them. Mid-June is probably the best time to see all of them. You'll need a clear view of the eastern horizon to catch Mercury and Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. And they'll be high, they will be higher in the eastern southeastern sky. Though not visible to the unaided eye, Uranus is between Venus and Mars, and Neptune is between Jupiter and Saturn. I mean, this is impressive. This is like everybody shows up for this event. All right, so what's the significance? Brother Random said something's fixing to happen one of these days when the five planets, Mars, Jupiter, Venus, and so forth, come into there, and he stops there. I predict that this has a spiritual application. Well, that's the, that's the privilege of prophets to say that. Okay? I wouldn't, I wouldn't really hazard a guess as to what the spiritual significance actually is. But he said, I believe it's the coming in of the issue of God and the great revelations. This is 1962. The great revelations of the word will be opened during this time. So stop. He said this in 1962. Well, he was very correct because after 1962 was the ushering in of the word that changed everything. So this really was significant and he was right. Remember they claim it was three stars in the orbit when Jesus was born. This is five, grace. Three is perfection. And God never sends his power to the church. Watch this. God ever sends his power to the church. It'll be his grace. It won't be the obedience of the people. I love this statement. This is really quite a powerful statement. So he's saying that three planets in the days of Jesus, three is perfection. And he said, but this is five. I, hey, listen, folks, if you just count it on the other screen, it's seven. All right? And that's, that's I mean, that's an eternal number, right? So uh, this, is, this is significant, I think. So then he says, and he was talking about grace here, and he said, if God ever sends his power to the church, it'll be his grace. It won't be the obedience of the people. In Isaiah 40, cried to Jerusalem that her warfare is over. Yet she was guilty of idolatry, but it was God's grace that was sending it. God sends anything to us. It'll be his grace and not our merit. Somebody ought to say amen. Say thank you, Jesus. So it may mean something, and I predict it'll be a change. Well, you know what? Uh, I, would, I would relish the opportunity to have my body changed in the middle of June. You say, Brother Barry, well, hey, listen, you don't know. But one day it'll happen, that's for sure. And I just want to be ready. All right.
Let's let's look at this. You're going to need your Bible here because we're we're going to look at some scriptures. I got most of them here. I don't have all of them, but I want you to just follow me a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna preamble a little, and then we want to jump on this word that's not in the Bible, but the Bible principle is everywhere. And I was just I was shocked. Exodus chapter ten, and. Um, This is just a little principle that I wanted to share with you here. The Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. That's pretty extraordinary. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness. Now that word darkness there, it means that there was a gloominess or a feeling of calamity about it. It was almost like something's going to happen, something bad's going to happen. You ever had just a feeling that something bad could happen? Well, this was multiplied, all right? This this darkness was so thick that you could almost touch it that it had this gloomy spirit about it. It wasn't just a lack of light. It was this gloominess and this feeling of impending judgment, which it really was. They were in a cycle of judgment here in all the land of Egypt three days. So there was no change. There was no light in any of those three days. And they saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light, Jehovah as Israel's light. That's what that Hebrew word means there in their dwellings. Imagine now the contrast. So here they are, locked down. We know what that means. They were locked down for three days. And never went anywhere. They just kind of stayed still because they were afraid. My goodness, if I move, I can't see anything. I can't see anyone. I don't even know where my foot's going. And so they stayed right there to avoid this feeling of impending calamity. They stayed right where they were. But the children of Israel had the complete opposite. They had the light of Jehovah in their dwellings. So this was a different presence altogether. This was a different feeling altogether. This was a different atmosphere altogether. How many can say amen? So to think that there could be such darkness and such light at the same time, in the same country, is quite an extraordinary thing. But I will tell you, that's just a type of where we are today. That there could be light and darkness in the same day. And there could be light and darkness in the same country as gross as what it really is. And I will tell you that, uh, you know, there are, there are lots of things that uh, indicate that this is really, really true. But Brother Branham uh, admonishes us, he says in 1963, that uh, in the, uh, there's a, the sermon, there's a man that can turn on the light. When the persecution comes, don't get scared. There's a light said he'd catch his people away. She'll not go through the tribulation, everybody said. She'll never do it. Say amen again. He said she wouldn't. She'd be caught away. Somebody say amen again. It's all right to say amen a lot in in this particular case. No matter how dark it gets, if you can't see your hand before you, he said, just remember, there's a man here that can turn on the light that can rapture the church. Glory to God. No matter how dark it gets, okay, there's always hope for the people of God because we're living in the light of Jehovah, right? So you just got to be making sure that you're, you're close to him, you're turned the right way, that you're on the right side of the pillar of fire. 
Let me give you a little example here, a little illustration I thought was interesting. That Alexander the Great was one of the most interesting uh, kings and rulers uh, of of uh, the, in the history of the world. And we know that when Daniel saw the image that uh, you know was in Babylon, uh, the image with the head of gold and the breastplate of silver, that breastplate represented Alexander's time. Uh, Alexander became king at 20 years old, and he died when he was 33. He didn't live very long, but he conquered a huge swath of land in the meantime. He was an exceptional person. And when he was a little lad, 12, 13 years old, uh, they brought Alexander out to see uh, what horse that he would choose, that he would grow up with, and that he would learn to ride. And uh, they had a, a whole fleet of horses, you know, that as they would in front of the kings, and they paraded a lot of these horses around. But there was one horse that they couldn't control, and his name was Bucephalus. And uh, this horse was, I mean, he was a powerful horse, and he was wild, and they could just not, they could not hold him at all. They just could not contain Bucephalus in any way. And as a result of that, uh, because he was totally unmanageable, he attracted Alexander's attention. Now, Alexander was an extraordinary person, even as a young man. And so he went out one day, and he was watching the horse. And he said, wow, he said, that horse is afraid of his own shadow. He said, that's the problem. So he went out to the horse, and he had them turn the horse around so that the horse was facing the sun. And his shadow now was behind him. And he took the horse by the head, and as you're supposed to do, and he, he, he talked to the horse and petted the horse and so forth. And he, uh, he, he eventually took the reins and slid up on top of the horse and rode him around. And all the time he was doing it, he kept the horse's head pointed towards the sun. And as long as that horse couldn't see his own shadow and see that darkness, he was absolutely okay. Now, I'll tell you what. I believe this, saints of God, that's exactly what God did in our time for us. I believe that God did that. He pointed us toward the sun. And you know what? The fear and the shadows and the darkness and all of that, that's behind us. We're walking in the light. We're walking towards the light. We're walking because of the light. And I'm thankful for that. And that's how Alexander conquered his horse and, uh, and uh, claimed it as his own. And eventually it came to trust him completely. And he had that horse for all of his life. Behind you is all kinds of long shadows. Behind you is all kinds of darkness. Behind you is all kinds of things that uh, get spookier as the day goes on because of the declining light. But I will tell you this, as long as you're pointing towards the sun, you have nothing but a clear path ahead of you. And that's exactly what I think God did in this day. Every one of us would be, uh, you know, immersed in the shadows in our time, right? Except for God sending a prophet and sending a message and turning us around. And we got oriented right. We're walking towards the light. We keep our eyes on that light. How many would agree? That's exactly what we're doing. Now, Brother Bannum uh, made a, a statement here. I want you to watch this one. He said he made women different than men, men different from women. He dressed them different and wants them to stay that way. Women wants to look like men. Men wants to look like women. Such a perversion. Just out on, on the left coast out there, and I'll tell you what now, uh, perversion takes on a new meaning when you get out there. It's all kinds of strange, strange and strange things. Strange and stranger. And the whole thing looks like it's got a grip on the people and you can't change it. This spirit that's unleashed in our time, he said it looks like it's got a grip on the people and you can't change it. 
In other words, you're really not going to say very much that's going to turn people around. It's got to be the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit through a new birth that really changes a person and gets them pointed in the right direction, right? Just criticizing people doesn't do it. Just, uh, you know, complaining about the times doesn't do it. And just, you know, trying to, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, just, just uh, uh, you know, in, in, in being kind to people and conversation and everything else. Hey, it's got to be the power of God that turns somebody around now. I believe that power of God's still available. I believe there's still mercy available, but that's what it's going to take. And Brother Bram's describing the season we're moving into. He said it looks like a great monster, a great blackness, if you understand, in the spirit. Not a natural one, but in the spirit. And they just can't get away from it. Too much Hollywood, too much television, too much other nonsense. Anyone want to fill in the blank what other nonsense is? we got a lot of nonsense in our time. Everything we got is polluted. So the airwaves are polluted, right? Radio is polluted. Music is polluted. The Internet is polluted. Social media is polluted. It's, hey, it's a fact of life. Like Brother Ben complained about tubeless tires, right? But it's here to stay. It's not going to go anywhere, and you're not going to tell anybody, and that's not going to, you know, convert them away from it. Hey, listen, even though that dominates this world, I don't believe that it has to dominate me, because we're under the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're led by the sons of God, or led by the Spirit of God. And so, therefore, even though we live in a polluted environment, and everything around us is polluted, uh, hey, Brother Branham said, no wonder, he said, if that work isn't cut short for the elect's sake, there will be no flesh saved. So God's got his eye on the elect, and he's watching over her and making sure that uh, she gets to where she needs to be. Now, I, I, you know, sometimes we, we, in saying these things here, it almost looks like, wow, why doesn't God shut it down? Why does he let it go on so long? Well, let me tell you something. Uh, let me tell you something that you already know, but it's good to say and remind ourselves of, and that is this, that God does know what he's doing. And he does call us in a particular hour, in a particular place, to do a particular thing, and nothing's going to change that. So he has ordained us. Now, I, I want you just to pause for a moment on this here in John 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. So a servant can live in the middle of something that's dramatic and important and happening and unfolding right in their midst, but not really know the why, not really know the how. They have no idea really of the purpose of it. They're just maybe witnesses of it, but they have no idea about the, 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 perp, the actual purpose. But he said, I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever, excuse me, you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So in order for us to be here in this particular age, it's because we've been chosen to be here. We're not here by choice. You didn't get a vote. Uh, God didn't give you the option. Check one or the other boxes. He, he decided, and he placed you here in this last age. I don't believe that he would have placed us here without the, uh, the goods to be able to survive the age that we're living in. Don't believe that at all. I believe that he, he, he allowed us to be able to live here and provides what we have need of in order to be victorious here and to be overcomers here. Trying to do God a service, he said, who is that that will dare correct him and say, well, now, Lord, you made a mistake by putting this man in the ministry. This man doesn't believe like we believe. But he knows what he's doing and he knows who to choose and who not to choose and what to do and when to do it. He knows what he's doing. He knows who to choose 
and who not to choose and what to do and when to do it. Your job is not to always like everybody, but your job is to believe the word. Because sometimes the vessel, you know, it can be a, it can be a, a, a difficult thing sometimes, or a trying thing sometimes. But let me tell you, we've been trained, we've been schooled to listen to the word and the voice of God speaking to us through the word rather than just dwell on personalities. If you're the type of personality that needs to have a flamboyant, uh, you know, dynamic personality, you're in the wrong place. But I will tell you this, that if you're the type of personality that loves the word, you'll gather wherever the carcass is. That's for sure. Bride has a sense for uh, where spiritual food in due season is. So God knows who to choose and who not to choose. So no matter how much we think a certain person is qualified to do a certain job, God knows who's qualified for the time and the season and the right time to do it. And the real true Christian, the real true believer in God waits upon the Lord for those things. Uh, we find that that's been the pattern all the way through, and uh, that's, that's uh, easily documented here. I'm moving on just a little bit. So bear with me here. So we have been chosen. Jesus said, I've chosen you. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And that means two things. Number one, it means that uh, God chooses by election those that he, that he separates to be peculiarly, peculiarly his own. And he gives oversight to that group of people, like the Israelites, like the bride, right? He chooses the bride, just like in the natural, we choose a bride. Uh, if your mom is choosing your bride, uh, we need to talk. But we, as, as under normal circumstances, we choose a bride. Well, God did too. And therefore, he's able to shower blessings upon them. He's able to give good things to his bride because he chooses her. And that's his choosing. And then, he, then the second part of this means that God choosing uh, Christians whom he set apart from the irreligious multitude, he calls them out, and he has rendered through faith in Christ citizens in the Messianic kingdom. So he's making something out of you that belongs in another place. And God would never do that unless you had representation in that place. Are you following me? So God is not choosing haphazardly and saying, man, I really like the way he sings. He sings southern gospel. And you know what? In heaven, we need good southern singing uh, folks, so I, I'm going to choose him. That's not how God does it. God never looks at your performance. God never looks at the outer uh, man and makes a decision about choice. That choice is already predetermined by God before the foundation of the world. And he says, so the grounds of his choice lies in Christ and in his merits only. God never chose me for what I do, but God chose me because what Christ did for me. Right? The basis of his choice doesn't rest in me. The basis of his choice does not rest in me. It rests in him. Have you got it? The basis of the reason why, the very foundation of the reason why Jesus Christ chose me is not me. It's what he did for me and in me. So therefore, he's not looking at you and saying, you know what? You're a 9 out of 10. You got it almost all right. You're close enough. We'll take you in. That's not it. My goodness, if God was going to take us in on the basis of our performance, wouldn't work. So therefore, this choosing is a very calculated thing in the mind of God. Now, if we are chosen, I want you to stay with me. If we are chosen of God, we are chosen to be blessed, but we are also chosen to be used. 
However, in order to be used of God, you've got to be in the right position. You've got to be in that right channel with God. Everybody follow me, say amen. We are chosen to be blessed. And God decides sovereignly to bless his people, like Israel. God blessed them even when they didn't deserve it, right? And they turned away from God. They rejected his prophets. They, uh, you know, they, they uh, uh, didn't follow the commandments, willfully broke them many times. But God uh, loved them because he had chosen them, right? So, in the same way that we are chosen by grace to be blessed, we are also chosen and given a responsibility So that God can use us. We're mindful of that responsibility. So that God can use us to fulfill his will. And to perform things. And sometimes God just wants you to be an obedient person. He wants you to be an obedient Christian. So that he can show the world that there are still obedient Christians. Hang with me now. So he says to this lady here, he says, now I believe we're strangers and God has known you since... Uh, you was a baby, he knew what, what's the matter with you, and he knows just what's going on and the outcome of it. And he knows what started it. And I, I, he says, I know none of that, and you know I don't know any of that. And then he says, well, now, if he, if he would happen to speak to you through his servant. So he's establishing something that, I don't know anything about this woman. They don't know anything about how it began or what your problem is. But he said, now, if God would speak to you through his servant, wouldn't it be true that this would have to be God speaking? Not me. Because you and I both know, and everybody else will find out, that I don't know who you are. So this is the way he describes it. And he said, just like that electric bulb that's here, it's a servant to the current. It isn't the bulb that's giving light. It's the current in the bulb that's giving light. The bulb is made, configured in such a way that if it encounters electricity, it's going to react. And there's going to be a resistance there. And the greater the resistance, so if you've got a 60-watt bulb or a 100-watt bulb or a 200-watt bulb, the greater resistance, the greater the light. And that's the way God made these servants to operate. It isn't the bulb that's giving the light. It's the current in the bulb that's giving light. And anybody can turn the switch and the light goes out. I, he said, I'd be the bulb to shed any light on the path of God's word. So in other words, a servant of God, somebody who's chosen of God, is going to be blessed of God, but they can also be used of God in a certain channel. And Brother Branham's saying that I'm just like a light bulb. He says, I'm subject to the current, but when the current strikes, you know what? There's light that comes. And that's the beautiful thing. And that's the thing we witnessed in our time, is that God allowed a servant to rise up, a light bulb to rise up in our time, like we hadn't seen for many, many years. Roughly 2,000 years since the Apostle Paul was on the earth. And God raised him up and showed through him that God could bring light and God could see things that human eyes couldn't see. Brother Branham could look in, the, in a person, you could look at a person and talk to him and nobody's past and know what, know what took place when they were children and know what, uh, you know, calamities befell them and all the other things. That, he's not looking at natural things. He's looking with the, with the light of God. And remember now, the light of God is not just a natural light like we have here, but the light of God is able to see and understand and perceive and uh, bring understanding of things, right? And uncover truths that lay there. Are you following me? I know it's Wednesday night, but you can still follow. So he says, it isn't the bulb that's giving the light. So in other words, if we unscrewed, well, you don't unscrew bulbs anymore. But if we took one of these bulbs out of this right here and held it up as much as we wanted to, it would not give any light because it's not connected 
to the system that brings current to it. Right? It can be a really nice bulb, but when you get out of sync with God, the right thing is not going to happen. The thing that that bulb was designed for is not going to happen. So you got to be, not only have you, you got to be fashioned a certain way, because a toaster is not a light bulb. Same current runs, runs through the light, through the toaster, but you get a different effect, right? You're either a toaster or a light bulb or a radio or something else. But they're all made for different purposes. And if a prophet is like a light bulb, then when that, when he's in the right spot, he's in a position to receive the current, he brings light. And you know what? Good things are going to happen when that light comes. Now, if you're a toaster, hey, that's the children's bread, right? But I will tell you this, that in, in Brother Bram's, in, in his analogy here, he said it's not the bulb that's giving the light. It's not the toaster that's making toast. It's the current passing through it. Now, let me say this to you, and I, just to drop it in. If, we're gonna, if our bodies are going to be changed, it's not because we have been in church long enough and figured it all out. It's because we're in the right position and the right current is passing through us and illuminates us to the place where, hey, it, our bodies won't even be able to stand it anymore. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're in a certain meeting or a certain, you know, environment or whatever else. You just got to be in the place that God's ordained for you. And when you're in the right place at the right time, the right season, this is what Brother Bram's describing, in the right season, there may not, there may be a whole lot of other things that you don't know. But when you're in the right, but God's placed you in the right place and, and that current passes through, you can, you can actually do great things because He's ordained that. He's ordained for that to happen, just like He ordained for Brother Branham, uh, to do what He did. And ordained means to place in a certain order and arrange and assign a place. Like Acts 22. And I answered and said, who art thou, Lord? Paul is telling his own testimony, right? He's on the road to Damascus. He's telling his own testimony here. And he said unto him, he's in front of Felix and and, uh, Festus and those guys. And he said unto him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were uh, with me saw indeed the light, and they were afraid. And they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told of thee things which are appointed for thee to do. You're not in the place right now, but I want you to follow the steps I'm ordaining, and when you do that, you will wind up in the right place, and when you wind up in the right place, you'll accomplish the right thing, and everybody will be blessed. We're still blessed in the reading of Paul's writing. We're still blessed in preaching in, in the preaching of the New Testament. How many would agree? It's because a man followed the instructions and simple as they were and was led by the hand into this house on a street called Straight and, you know, winds up meeting that uh, brother who baptized him there and the scales fall off his eyes. Let me tell you, God didn't fill him all right thin with everything. It was a process that he went through, but he had to take those initial steps. So, in other words, God's, God's ordained it, God's chosen you, and God's ordained you to be in a certain place in a certain time. And so that's why you're here. Then he says, in present stage of my ministry, he said, Paul was something on the order like Elijah. Stay with me now. Paul was something like on the order of Elijah. Elijah the prophet went up to the mountain by the commission of God and was called for the fire to fall out of heaven, and it fell. But God, was, God has ways of doing things, and his servants can only work according, if he works according to the will of God. So the servants always had to be mindful of the will of God. Now, in saying all of that, 
The really important thing for us in this last day is not for you to intellectually try to figure it out, like I said. If you're ordained, chosen of God to be here in the last day, it's because God wanted to give you a revelation that surpasses anyone else's revelation in the whole New Testament body because your revelation in the last day and rapturing faith will be powerful enough to actually change your body. I mean, that's not my words. That's, that's what we're taught, right? Paul says, I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. There's going to be a lot of sleepers through the ages. But in the end time, I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. So there's going to come a revelation, and we know that. In the last day, that's going to be so great, it'll actually overwhelm your body. It'll actually take over your body, and your body won't be able to stand it. You'll be gone. Glory to God. Now, there's two kinds of revelation, and this is just for your own information, which you already know. Natural revelation is that which is revealed about God through what we can see in creation. It's just like when they asked Einstein, and they said, uh, you know, what do you think about the creation of the world and so forth uh, in, in the interview that they had with him? And he said, well, the only thing I can tell you is that it's Hebrews 11. By faith, we know the worlds were spoken by God, into existence by God. And so you can look around and see uh, nature and creation and know that there has to be a higher power, at least that. When you, listen, when you, when you think about how, how do the bones grow in the womb of a woman to form a child, you figure that out and come back and tell me. Let me tell you, that's, that's evidence of a higher power. You look in the human eye, just the human eye alone. Don't do this at home. But when you study the workings of the human eye and how that it actually uh, operates and translates uh, all those images and light and everything else and then flips them over and uh, goes through the rods and the cones in the back, hooks up with the optic nerve, crosses over uh, in the cross and winds up in some part of your brain back there. And you can look at, I can look at uh, sister here and I say, oh, wow, that's the Clayville. Clayville will choose. Nature itself will tell you that there is a God. There's a higher power, right? So there's a, there's, there's a lot of people can look and see that, that there is a higher power. The this, this second thing, though, the special revelation, if you like, is, is what's given to us through prophets and the opening of the word. That's not ordinary. That's not intellectual. It doesn't require brains. Let me give you an example, all right? Here's an example, and just one here for you uh, just before we move on. How many of you remember the story of the scapegoat back in the, in the early part of the Bible? All right. I'll just teach this like I assume nobody knows. Okay? Just, I'm just assuming. That. In the offerings for sin in Israel as they traveled in the wilderness, there came a season where God told Aaron the prophet, Get two goats. They were special goats, but get two goats. In Leviticus 16, he describes and says, Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering. So one of these goats now died, shed his blood. And he said, And kill it for the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil. So they killed him on the spot, took the blood, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, and he'll make an atonement for the holy place. So they sprinkled it on the tabernacle. And 
they did it because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgression and all their sins. And he shall do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Okay, so that was one of the goats. They killed him right there, took the blood, sprinkled it, and that was a symbol that something had died for the sins of the children of Israel. Okay? But there was another goat. Leviticus 16, if you read down through the chapter, and when he made an end of the reconciling of the holy place, in other words, he sprinkled all the blood and it was sanctified, the congregation and the altar, he shall take the live goat. So there's one still left alive. And these two were called, these, these, this was a sin offering. Okay, so this is one of the rituals that they had. It was done away at Calvary. Okay. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send them away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. So it's just like this, that Aaron would come down and put his hands on the head of that goat. And when he did that, he would transfer all of the sins of the children of Israel. So all of the camp, all of the church, if, if this was the Old Testament here, I would be holding all the sins of the children of Israel and I would transfer them to the head of this goat. And we would take that goat, this is the Bible now, and we would take that goat and we would let him go in the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited. He went out into the wild. And he shall let it go, the goat in the wilderness. So therefore, the idea is that the one who had the sin on him went into an uninhabited place and died. He was removed from the camp. He was gone. Which one do you think was the type of Christ? Aren't you glad for a prophet? And I know that you have brethren here believes that the devil was a scapegoat, but no, no, Christ was both goats. In the death, burial, and resurrection, he bore our sins away and then came forth in the resurrection. So he died on the cross, he went away and came back alive, proving that he had defeated sin and the power of sin. The, the goat that was released never came back because it was la- released into a land uninhabited. So therefore, it was gone. And there was no more remembrance of it. And this goat here was already dead. So there was a death, burial, but there was no resurrection. When Jesus came along, he said, I'll be both goats, but I'm going to come back from the wilderness and I'm going to come back from the dead. And he proved that he had defeated sin. So it was Christ being represented for the church and he took the church's place for sin and was cast into outer darkness into hell and rose the third day. God raised him up for our justification. You understand what I just said? What I just said is that he took your sin and he took it off into the wilderness and it was, it was done away with, but he came back victorious, meaning that your sin was gone, but he's still alive. And if you've got that spirit in you, let me tell you, your sins are gone. I'm glad they're gone. Praise God, they're gone. But now we come back in newness of life, never to die again. That's exactly what that means. Now, this is where you need to think. Okay? All that was really a preamble. The super sign, 1963. 
Brother Manna makes this statement very frequently, and I'm going to ask you why. These three stars lined up. It was a sign that the Messiah was on the earth. They believed it. The rest of them didn't see it. The rest of the observers, the rest of the people who were looking in the sky, sky watchers, they didn't see it. They were in their right constellation. The stars were in their right constellation. But they, all the other observers, saw them in the way that God had presented them to them. And that's the way the gospel is today. Now watch what he says. It can only be seen in the way that God presents it to you. And if it's presented to you outside of the continuity of the Bible, then it's not God telling you that. You can't make the Bible lie. It's the infallible word of God. So, for instance, if you were a sky watcher and you looked up in the sky and saw a constellation of stars, a lineup of stars, and you came back in that day uh, and announced to the people, hey, we need to build an ark. God's going to flood the earth. Uh, there's going to be a judgment come. We're in a judgment cycle. God's going to flood the earth, and so therefore we need to build an ark. It would have been a biblical answer, but not the right answer for the day that they were living in. They, they, everything was in the right constellation, but they had a misinterpretation because they were missing revelation. Why does this happen? This happens because of something that's not, the word is not in the Bible, but the principle is everywhere. Here it is. It's your bias. Hmm. Now, for those of you that thought this was a Bible study, hold tight. When when you have a bias, it means you have a disproportionate weight in favor of or against an idea or a thing usually in a way that's closed-minded or prejudicial or unfair. So, for instance, if you're biased uh, in your thinking about something, you're really probably going to only open your mind to something that agrees with what you think. You, you, you lean a certain way. So there's a lot of people, for instance, who uh, are, are Trinitarian because that's a prevailing teaching about the Godhead in our world today. And for most denominational churches and most, most uh, so-called Christians, they would say, uh, you know, that's, that's, the way, that's the way we lean. That's the way we've been taught. So they, they already have a bias. They already have a predisposition to think that way. People may develop biases for or against an individual or church or belief and so forth. In the church, we often witness the holier-than-thou individual who wears his spirituality on his sleeve for everyone to see, and he's quick to criticize others for their shortcomings, drawing away from fellowship for their lack of conversion. Huh. Such a person is showing a bias toward his idea of righteousness, which is what we call self-righteousness. Wow, people have an interpretation of righteousness, and if somebody doesn't match up to that, you know what, they'll draw away because they've got, they've got a bias. They've got a, they've got a belief that this is the way it should be. Now, i got news for you. The sad thing is that what they're actually believing and what they're holding on to may not be right. It may not be all right. It might be partly right, but it may not be all right. But they will judge all kinds of people. This person in the second paragraph, they'll judge people all the time because they don't measure up to what they feel is their measure of self-righteousness. They, 
And, and so, therefore, they can dismiss people and say, well, nothing good's going to become of that, nothing, nothing right happening there. And I'm not going to have anything to do with that person. They're going to turn out bad. Because they're already predisposed to think about people that way. I'm, I'm saying to you, this is not a good thing. Now, there are examples of a right bias, but let me just show you in the Scripture how powerful this is. Because if it is a problem where Brother Branham says, you know, people, they got their mind made up and they're going to look at the people looked at the stars and, uh, you know, they had, a, they had an interpretation of that. They looked at it that way. They were already, they were already biased. They were already kind of, oh, well, that's, that's, what, that, that's, what, that's what that means. And they were basing that on what they had, you know, already heard or already been taught or what their church or system felt like. All right, so watch now. Brother Branham says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. You're not supposed to favor somebody. And he gives an example. If there come unto your assembly for if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in godly apparel, and there come also a man poor in vile raiment, what's the bias say? That the poor guy, you really don't want to entertain because he's not going to give much to the church. But you know what? If we've got a wealthy guy, uh, hey, you guys, get out of the front row. Come on, get out of the front row. We know you don't even have a wallet. And let the, oh, come on, brother, come on up here. We saved a seat for you. That's what James is saying. You've got a man with gold ring and apparel. Let him come on up to the front here. And he says, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, sit thou here in the good place. And say to the poor, stand down there or sit under my footstool. Art ye not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Being partial is the problem here, right? Huh. So now, you know what we're doing? We're doing the exact opposite of what God did back in the days of Samuel when he looked at the brothers. He looked at the brothers of David, right? And Samuel looked at him and looked at the countenance and said, wow, this one would be a pretty good king. You know what? He's got a bias towards what a king really should look like. Doesn't he? He's got an idea in his own mind. He's already got a preconceived. This is what a king looks like, tall, stately. He looks good with a crown and, uh, you know, sits, sits upright and his back doesn't touch the back of the chair. So he's got this idea already preconceived about what a king should look like. And he says, wow, this must be the guy. Because he fits everything that I perceive and that I look at and say, well, he must be. And God says, hey, you know what? You're choosing on the basis of countenance. And I don't, I don't choose that way. I choose a different way. Right? So here's James now coming along and saying the same thing. That you should not, he says, should not have the faith of, of Christ. In other words, be a part of the body with partiality, or respect to persons. Can I go a little farther? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? And if you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, here it is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you do that, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Convicted, convinced of the, excuse me, of the law as transgressors. 
Wow, the law describes you as a transgressor if you treat people that way. Wow. Got a few minutes. Stay with me. Brother Branham says in writing the church age book, he's explaining about writing the church age book, all right? And he's got Lee Vale, he's got others, he's got his daughter, he's got different ones that are helping him grammarize and make sure that everything is right. But he's also doing research. Any good author reads a lot. And he's reading and he's trying to gather as much historical fact and uh, trying to create a basis upon which to write this church age book and what God's showing him, all of that. He says, since this study was to be the most serious one I had ever undertaken, up to this time, I sought God, because every other book was a prophet visits South Africa or a man sent from God. These are books written about by Brother Branham and so forth. But now, the church age book, stop for a minute, the church age book was the setting forth of the doctrines of uh, the New Testament church, right? In, in there's, you know, the doctrine of baptism of the Godhead, the serpent seed, what happened to the original sin. All of that is in there. So he wants to obviously take care because he knows this is going to be a book uh, that's going to be widely distributed because of its content. Right? Then only did I read the scriptures on the church ages and delve into the many church histories written by the most unbiased historians I could find. Because he doesn't want to be biased. He's got to go to unbiased sources, the most unbiased he can find. Because your bias will throw you off. We all have them. <laughs> Every one of us have them. Don't, don't, don't sit there and think, well, I'm so glad I don't have one. All right, Acts 10. Watch this. Watch this. Peter's up on the roof in, in Haifa, and he's, he's, he's just taken a siesta. He's up there with his big gulper listening to tapes, and then all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. And Peter, when he thought on this vision, the vision is the sheet that comes down that's got all these animals on it. Right? Remember? Remember the story? Acts chapter 10. Got all of these animals in the sheet here. When Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said to him, watch, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. They're coming to the door. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them. Doubting nothing. You know why he said that? Because these men coming to the door were going to be Gentiles. They were from the house of Cornelius. And naturally, if Peter, being a devout Jew and a follower of Jesus, he's going to open the door and say, you know, says, hey, Peter, it's for you. And he comes out and looks at the door. And these guys are Gentiles. Hey, just close the door and go back upstairs. There's no, there's no issue here. But this is what this scripture, this is what in the Greek, this is what this means here. Go with them. Follow them. Let them take you where they want to take you. And don't go with a biased outlook here. Go with an open mind. You know why? Because this is the first time that now we're going to see Gentiles come into the body of Christ. This is the first time now we're going to have baptisms here. And we're going to see Gentiles converted. That's going to be a shift in your thinking. Is everybody with me? There's going to be a shift go on here. And Peter, you're going to be the man that's going to witness it. You're going to be the man that's going to do it. So I want you to go down and answer the door without any bias at all and just kind of watch and see what God does. I hope I'm making sense to you here. This is not a trivial matter, folks, in the the Bible. 
Matthew chapter 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me. Every one of the Gospels tell this story. Matthew is a publican. Every one of the Gospels relate this story. And I think it's because they all wanted to make sure we got it. Because some people are John fans, some people are Matthew fans, some people are Mark fans, because Mark's shorter, and all the rest of it. And so he saith unto Matthew, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Wow. So now, here he is, the master, the rabbi, the teacher, the man with the word, right? And he's, and he's sitting down and having lunch. He's at the park, all right? And he's sitting down and having lunch. All the sinner people now, all the guys who are, uh, you know, users and losers and all the rest, they all come and they all sit around Jesus here because they want to hear what he has to say. If you're going to teach your disciples, I want to hear what he has to say. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Why do you think they said that? Because they're already biased. They're already, in their thinking, they already have a picture of what the Messiah would be. And you know what? It ain't that. Because we got to figure it out, he's going to be this. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Go and learn what it meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And I am come to call the right, not call to righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know what he's doing? He's uncovering something in there. They feel like they're right. Doesn't make them right. They feel like they're right, but it doesn't make them right. The sermon is called Pride. Brother Bram said, The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, and it's written in such a way that there's no way at all for men in his mental conception to understand what it is. That's the way the Bible is. So it's not by natural revelation. You can't look up into the heavens and understand the seven seals completely. You've got to have a revelation from God. And there's no way that you can mentally kind of figure it out. You'll never read enough books to figure it out. Because he's hid it from the eyes of the wise and prudent, and it's a spiritual revelation. Let me say, tell you what you already know. The only way for you to change your view and to become unbiased about something is to get a revelation. If, <laughs> that's really the only way because a revelation cuts right through your bias. It cuts right through what you learn in your denomination. It cuts right through your concept of the Trinity. It cut right through. Come on. How many of you believe that Eve ate an apple in the Garden of Eden? And what changed that? But a revelation that it wasn't apples at all. That's what changes the bias. And look at the Pharisees and Sadducees of the day of our Lord Jesus and how they had it all figured out, how that Christ would come and everything. And when he came, he came vice versa to what they had figured out. He didn't come contrary to the Scripture. He came contrary to their conception of the Scripture. Are you following me? Because they had a, they had a teaching. They had a former understanding. They had a picture in their mind. They had a bias that this is how it's going to happen. And Jesus did not come contrary to the Scripture. He only came contrary to their understanding of the Scripture and how it was going to be fulfilled. And you know what they needed? They needed what you and I needed, and that is a revelation of God fulfilling His Word. I mean, we find it again. Paul talking to Timothy. I charge thee therefore in the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. There it is again. 
Preferring means to prefer one before another. Like James says about putting the rich man up in the front. An opinion formed before the facts are known. I'm only reading what the Greek definition says. When Paul says to Timothy, he says you're going to do these, observe and do these things without preferring. It means that you're going to do this and don't form an opinion before the facts are known. A prejudgment or a prejudice. Tell you what, as a pastor, if you're going to solve a problem in the church, you need to find out what really goes on and not go into it and say, well, you know what, it's Joe. So I know he's behind it because he's a troublemaker. And, and if, if that's the way you go into it, you'll never really solve the problem because you've already got your mind made up. If, if, if you go into a court and you know the judge's already got his mind made up, you're in trouble. Now, you know what I just did? I don't know if you noticed it, and I don't know if you understood what I just did, but you know what I just did? I opened up a can of worms. And some cans of worms are good to open up. And I will tell you this, that God is interested in making sure you have the right understanding of something. And I'll give you an example that all of us kind of maybe imagine about what it's going to be like when it all ends. And we're all, you know, it's all over and we all go and what the marriage supper. I have a picture in my mind about the marriage supper. And you know what it's based on? It's based on the picture that Billy Graham endorsed of that long table with all the candelabras on it, right? Some of you are shaking your heads, you know exactly. And that's how it is. You know what? I would be willing to say it ain't going to be like that. I don't know how it's going to be, but I think that <laughs> I'm biased in my thinking about that's the way it's going to, that's what it's going to look like. You gotta watch. You gotta watch. You gotta think about this word bias here because we all have them. We all have them. We're all predisposed to certain ways of thinking. Now, I'm gonna stop here and I'm just gonna give you a little story and then, then we'll have our musicians come. Lord willing, if it all works out, I'd like to be able to go to the funeral of Brother Hildebrandt because he was a special friend to me. And if you knew Brother Harold, uh, you had to like him. Uh, and if you travel with him, you have stories. I have stories. I have really good stories, really interesting stories that um, <laughs> happen with, I mean, really interesting stories, and we don't have enough time tonight. But I, 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 early in my years of ministry, I got in contact with Brother Harold, and he took, kind of took a liking to me, and we traveled together, and we were in Poland together, and different, several different countries in Africa, and he was a great... I watched him, you know, I, I watched him, and I, I learned a lot from him. I remember one time we were in Kenya, and uh, the brothers there who were introducing Brother Harold to preach, he got up there and he went on and on and on and talking about Brother Harold, what a great person he was and what a great man he was and what a great man of God and what a great spiritual leader. All, he went on and on and on and on like that. And then he said, now let's welcome Brother Harold. So Brother Harold just got up and stood there and said, hey, good evening, friends, let's take your Bible and let's preach. And I said, how do you, is that how you respond to that when somebody gives you that kind of over, overwhelming praise like that and, you know, gushy praise? And he said, he just said to me, he said, flattery is like bubble gum. He said, it's okay in your mouth for a while, but you're better off spitting it out. You can think about that. But I remember one time, and this is what I wanted to tell you, I was in a, a minister's meeting. And uh, they were asking Brother Harold some questions about missionary work. I don't remember where it was, but I was young. 
And uh, they asked Brother Harold a question. They said, what does it take to become a great missionary? And I immediately, with my bias, immediately I answered that in my own mind. I said, money. I mean, you've got to have money to travel. You've got to have money to bring supplies. You've got to have money to buy Bibles. You've got to have... So you need resources, right? That's immediately what I thought. Yeah, I know the answer to this one. And then I was thinking, well, it could be this or it could be that. And anyway, Brother Harold, he just kind of got up and he, and he looked at the people and he said this. And this answer changed my life. This answer blew my bias right out of the water. And he said this to me. He said this to the crowd. He said, if you're going to be a successful missionary, he says, when you go overseas, if you think you're better than these people, you're up here and they're down here, you might as well stay home. He said, you'll never help those people. If you feel like you're up here and they're down here, they're somehow lesser than you, you'll never help them. He said, when I go overseas, I look at those brothers like my brothers. And he says, they're not any greater or lesser than me. But he said, if you have an attitude of being up here somehow that you're from America and you're white and you're this or that, he said, you'll never be able to help those people. And I thought, wow. My bias was thinking another way altogether because that's what I had assumed, right? And when he gave that answer, it changed my life. I mean, I thought, wow, if I'm going to ever be used of God, I've got to have an attitude. I get, number one, I've got to be led to go where I'm going. And I've got to be able to embrace those brothers over there and call them brothers from my heart because they're going to know it if I'm not uh, genuine with them. They're going to know it if I'm not real with them. They're going to know it if I'm just a, a fake and a, just a guy with money or something else here. I, I'm wanting notoriety or something else. They're going to know that. And it's what they say after you leave is what really matters. It's what they say after you're, you're gone. And, uh, you know, what they say to other people. I, that's, that's what re- really is going to matter. And so I thought, Lord, I don't want to have that. Lead me to where you want me to go. And help me love those I go to. And it changed my attitude completely towards just, just the whole idea of going out to serve God's people. And that's a good example of how that we lean a certain way in our thinking. We have a knee-jerk reaction response. We think, well, this way. This is the way it's got to be. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will say something and just turn your thinking all the way around. Now, all I'm going to say to you in leaving you tonight is this. May we have minds and hearts that are able to be shifted by the Holy Spirit when the truth really comes. Because the only thing that's going to change your bias is revelation. And so you ought to pray and say, Lord, I don't want to be stuck thinking the wrong thing or the wrong thing about people or anything else. Give me a revelation. Give me a revelation of the love of God. Let's have our musicians just slip up here. Give me a revelation, Lord, because a revelation is the only thing really that's stronger than my thinking. And you'll find that there are all kinds. I'm not done with these scriptures, but there are all kinds of scriptures in the New Testament and in all kinds of quotes here where Brother Branham's encountering people that have got their mind made up. 
He's, he's running into people all the time to have their mind made up about what, what this end time Malachi 4 is supposed to be like and what, how this is going to unfold and how this is going to happen and which denomination really is the chief denomination. And he ran into that continually. And he was teaching them all the time what the Bible said about having a prophet in the last day. Because they already got their minds made up. If we go at it, if we go at the Christian walk with our minds made up, God's going to have a tough time with you. We should rather come and say, you know what? I'm going to lay my thoughts down. I'm going to lay my feelings down about people. I'm going to lay my everything down here. And, Lord, you give me a revelation that breaks through and replaces all of that and puts the truth in my heart. Because the only thing that's stronger than your bias is the revelation that comes from God. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. That's why David said, Lord, send thy light and thy truth and let them guide me. Because that's more real than anything I could come up with. Sing it together tonight. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the light that shines. Lord, you had a prophet that said so many amazing things, and it was because he was in a position where the current could reach him and bring light to all those that sat in a dark world. And now, Lord, I pray that all of us would be in that same kind of a place where the current can reach us. And, Lord, transform us into what you have in mind. And, Lord, in our lives, we want you to be glorified. And I pray, dear God, you would help us right where we are because we certainly do need you, Lord. And all of us, Lord, have preconceived ideas. We, we are people who are, we've been confronted with lots of things. We've been taught many things. And, Lord, yet we know the, the one thing that is true is the absolute. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. And so, Lord, we want to keep our minds stayed upon that. We want to keep our focus, Lord, on the things you have said. And, Lord, may all of our misconceptions, Lord, go by the way of the wayside. Thank you, Lord. And speak to us. And, Lord, have your way among us, we pray. We want to, we want to put our hand in yours, Lord, as we've said many times. And, Father, over our next few days, I just commit my traveling into your hands, Lord, and pray that you would watch over the people, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that you're still dealing with hearts that want to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender their life to you. And I ask and pray now that you would just speak, Lord, to hearts. Soften stony hearts, Lord, is my prayer. Have mercy upon us, and we'll give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming tonight. Let's sing that little uh, chorus. Keep your mind stayed on him. Uh, Same key there. God bless you as you go tonight. Shake hands with one another, and I appreciate you being here. Keep your mind. Keep it stayed on me. Stay.
的。